John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Stronger Die podcast. Today, my guest is Brooke Sousa, uh, back for the second time. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, pleasure. Um, the last time was really fun, so uh, hopefully hopefully we can match that. <laughs> That's good. Um, so we were just talking about your upcoming um, schedule. Would you mind uh, repeating that um, for our listeners? Yeah, so two weeks ago was uh, Strongest Woman in the World in Alaska, and now I'm home for a couple more weeks before going down to Texas for the United States Strongman Pro Women's uh, Championship. And I'll be back for 10 days before I travel down to Miami for America's Strongest Woman. And then home for 10 days before I travel to Daytona for World's Strongest Woman. Very cool. So, um, <clears throat> man, there's a lot to talk about here. <laughs> uh, well, let's, let's start it off right. Um, salmon toss. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell us about that. Uh, there's been a lot of memes. There's been... A lot of talk about this, a lot of videos. <laughs> Tell us about the you know, for it being something that the Alaskans are like known for. I mean, when you go to different places, you want to have something that catches the crowd. I mean, that to me, that's what strongman's about. So, uh, the fact that we could do something that they're like known for, granted, a lot of people were like, "Was that a real fish?" And you know, <laughs> what a different event that was, and whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's never been done this. Man before, um, it was fun to just attempt it. Like we all had the same playing field. Like nobody had their hands on it beforehand, and it didn't really matter. And uh, it was still just fun to try it. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I've seen man all kinds. People were talking about this event a lot, and I think that's kind of the irony of it, right? Like people, there were like all these. There was one camp of people that were like, "This is stupid. Like, what is this or whatever?" But I think it was the most talked about event. I mean, it drew a lot of attention to it. Now, imagine if each event or competition had one event like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Like, they just threw a fire hydrant, you know? <laughs> or yeah. they're carrying refrigerators. Like, who does that? Mm-hmm. It would get people talking. It gets people interested and in how you could grow the spectators and the sport more by getting people amped up to talk about it right yeah yeah i think i think just that it got it got people talking people were interested people watched because of it um and then people learned that it was part of the alaskan culture and this and that i think it was nothing but positive i think it was really cool and um another thing too i think there's actually a lot of weird stuff in strongman, it's just been in strongman so long that it's kind of commonplace, right? I mean, like a right. lot of this stuff came from stuff like that. It's just kind of when you get into it, it's been done for so long, it's kind of not weird anymore. But the reality uh-huh. is, it's just as weird as throwing a giant rubber fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> I mean, th- think about you, just tacky, for instance. I mean, using tacky to lift something, see, like. You know, especially in this day and age, you could, there's a million things you could do to make something easier to pick up, but you're going to use tacky. Right. <laughs> that just seems weird to me. But, um, and I think the casual person, when, when you tell them the first time, like, hey, they're using this tacky to lift this thing, they're always like, what? You know, you know they have that response. 
so there are all these weird things in strong man that uh you know to me it's just kind of like oh it's just another thing you know um uh-huh. <clears throat> very cool um now your schedule seems pretty crazy so you're competing about every 10 days every two weeks so um for the month of october and you know i don't recommend that for any clients to even do more than like two shows a year like qualify for nationals so do that local show and do nationals get it over with right um give yourself that good off season before you peak again for nationals what people don't understand is like okay this has taken years of training to be able to handle this kind of load and to train smart so you're not going to get any stronger between those competitions right your strength comes from your off season and uh right now it's about just recovering and making sure i am uh doing all those things that are necessary to keep me healthy for the next show very cool so how do you think you'll be training in between the shows then um are you still going to try to do, uh, I don't even know how many days a week you do. I'm going to guess and say, are you still going to do four or five days in between? Or are you going to cut that back to two or three? Or what do you think your plan is? So I still train four days a week. Um, but I think when I get back from this next show and I only have like those 10 day turnarounds, it will just be like kind of like a warm up just to keep uh, mini workout, keeping things loose and, uh, you know, doing again, recovery work, as if you were coming back from any other type of competition. Right. Uh, I have two, one rep deadlift um, in each of the first two competitions, so making sure, again, I use up that whole two weeks to recover to be able to do it again at the next show. Cool. <clears throat> yeah, sounds like a solid plan. Um, so with, with, uh, with your clients, not yourself, obviously, when you have them only do a couple shows a year. How do you, uh, how do you kind of get experience to them without actually going to the shows? Is that something that you're concerned with? Is that something, do you mimic this stuff in the gym? How do you kind of, um, you know, cause experience can play somewhat of a factor. Yeah. And that's like that, but you going, there's so many variables in strongman. So, you can be like, well, I need to go to a show every six weeks and think that you're going to become an experience. That's not at all where it comes from. You need to, like, a lot of that is building up the confidence outside of a competition or to learn how to pay attention to the different changes that happen out of a competition. I mean, we can, like, know down to, oh, got to know the color of my T-shirt for the competition more than any other rule, right? Right. <laughs> um, when none of that matters. But how about teaching yourself how to pay attention to when things change and like, okay, well, what's your next game plan um, to back that up? Because you can have your training be solid and down to the exact equipment that you're using in competition and things change. Well, how are you going to handle that? So with clients that work on a lot of that and being strong overall, so no matter if they change it from a certain belt press to a long rep, it doesn't matter. Like even the shows that I have coming up, I trained Conan's wheel one time, first and last time ever before a show. <laughs> and I'm trying to think, I messed around with chaos because I will not make the same mistake twice. So I look at the events and think, okay, well, where are your weaknesses are at? You don't need to be training them all the time to get 
stronger. That's not how it works. You just get better at the technique. So how are we going to get you stronger to be able to handle if there's like, oh my gosh, you put five more pounds on the log than what I trained for. Like, how am I going to do this? And it's like, nobody cares. Like my client competed this <laughs> yes. past weekend. She's like, they changed the dumbbell to being 70 pounds. And I'm like, yeah. And you got 15 reps that should not have happened. Like it was way too light to begin with, but you freaked out because they changed the weight and you want to make sure you're preparing your clients to be able to handle all those changes. And it takes the pressure off the promoters, right? I'm like right. keeping uh, the competitors calm in the midst of a lot of times you don't have control over, well, my equipment fell through or, oh, I need to use this instead of what I originally said. And it's like knowing that you're sending your clients into a competition to not be that pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so that, there's a lot there, actually. So, um, <clears throat> you know, like you said, taking some um, pressure off the promoters and some people won't appreciate that. And um, <clears throat> I think that's important because, sure, taking the pressure off the promoter may not directly help you win, but if you're in this sport, an inevitable goal is probably like, hey, I'm going to go pro. And a lot of the pro shows are kind of dependent on whether or not the promoter likes you. Right. <laughs> so if if they see you being one of these people that's a pain in the ass and you 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 know and you're doing that constantly, that could affect you later down the road. I mean, and, and there's just and, no uh, need for it. Like there are so many things that change, and people are like, "Well, why don't you say something?" I'm like, "It doesn't really matter. That means I need to work on me." So there's no bearable there of being that close to have to even have a conversation with a promoter like it doesn't matter and that's like the biggest thing is like okay just focus on you and if things change like okay i don't care if they got you know the other competitors were allowed to touch and go on the deadlift and i wasn't okay i'm not gonna go fight that and i it's one of the things like well then you should just get stronger so you're doing 30 reps instead of you know <clears throat> letting everyone else touch and go and get 12. I don't know. It's just those things, like, it doesn't matter. And I think who you are in your training and that pours out into your competition. And there's no need to be a jerk, not only to your competitors or the promoters, but also that's a reflection on you and all the spectators are looking at you. And, like, what does a sport mean? Um, and we're representing that. So putting yourself out there, and it's the – you know, experience is also in learning how to turn that on and off. As a competitor, you're also an entertainer. So where is that balance? Where is the communication with your circle of people that follow you that you have as being a part of your journey? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it's not just being on the field competing. Yeah, for sure. You know, like you change the environment mm-hmm. in the gyms that you're training at, you know, um, changing things up. Maybe their program doesn't go 100%. Like, this program for me, getting ready for Strongest Woman in the World, was not my best. I just wasn't feeling very strong in uh, some areas and uh, just from having an off-season and dropping a lot of weight. But, um, it, you know, I ended up going and still giving it 100%, and obviously it was, like, my best performance, I think, ever. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of... Um... I think there's a lot of ways you can get experience too that people don't think about. You can go and volunteer at shows. 
Um, yeah. And you can see how things are run. Um, if you're even just a plate loader, you'll learn, man, you'll learn yeah. a ton. <laughs> and and you'll get an appreciation for the promoter and the show by There's that, out. but I, I that's exactly it. You appreciate the volunteers. You see that other people fail, too. Mm-hmm. And you can also see, like, okay, well, what kind of competitor do you want to become? The asshole or the one that's, like, chill and, you know, making it fun and also kicking ass, right? Yeah. So that's what it's you know, ultimately about is being better than yourself. And I think this is something that I find is very unique to uh, strength sports. But a lot of um, a lot of people involved with the sport don't really watch the sport. They don't go and watch, uh, you know, World's Strongest Woman, World's Strongest Man. They don't They don't watch the Arnold show. A lot of them can't even name, like, the people that built, you know, like, who's Bill Kazmaier or who's Marius Pujanowski. They don't know. Um, we were just talking about that during my training this weekend because I was training with some guys who were pros in the 2005 to 2012 era. And it was just kind of like... Nobody knows, you know, who those people were. And that's what you don't understand is like, are you willing to break your body during your training and going outside of, you know, what you program for your clients just for a trophy or just to win first place? Like, nobody cares that you won. Like, for me, no one cares after three months that I won last year. And it's like, you know, all the comments this year is like, oh, bring home the gold again. You know, and I'm like, um, I already been there, done that. Like, that's not always my goal for each show. And it's like, no one cares who won what show or who they are after they won. Right. So you have to think about your personal goal. Like, how much are you willing to sacrifice and beat up your body for first place? And it's like, okay, I have, you know, goals of just remaining top five um, right now with for longevity and how far can I go without putting miles on my body yeah and uh, because at the end of the day nobody's gonna remember who you are right yeah and I mean it's like for us pros it's not like we know the amateurs you know it's not like you can keep up with the turnover in the amateur field either so um, as much as we get into a sport thinking like, oh, our, our lives are going to change and people are going to know, you know, who we are and what we've done. It's like, no, you have to keep on putting it out there. You have to stay fresh mm-hmm. and in the game to mm-hmm. be a respected athlete. Yeah, and I think it's very unique to Strongman, maybe because it's not um, <clears throat> as popular as like some of the bigger sports. But, you know, if you, if you find you could go to any... Uh, college and talk to a college baseball player and they, they could rattle off statistics about all the other pro baseball players, all the teams and and they watch, you know, like people sit around and watch baseball all the time or football or whatever. I just find it really odd that um, the strength athletes, it's even worse than powerlifting, I think, but strongman is pretty bad. That uh, They just don't know. They don't watch it. They don't know who these people are. And then they're going out and doing stuff. And you would think like just knowing the history of stuff, um, or, or if you had like, uh, an event change, like you said, you, you might be able to think back and go, Oh yeah, well they did this in, you know, 1993 at this thing. And I remember seeing this person do it. That stuff can help to some extent. Um, I don't think it's like the difference between going pro and not going pro, but I think it, can. I think it helps with you saying that, you know, the pro men have had a lot of the same struggles, like their events have changed. 
or they may have done something in training and here they just failed on stage and you're just yeah. kind of like oh like that happens to them too so i think as a beginner or as an or athlete uh even pro just to see uh, you know going and volunteering or watching other competitions that eliminates a lot of stress on you as a competitor of just like knowing like sometimes things don't go your way right. and sometimes my you know like the deadlift in training i only got 365 in my training for strongest woman in the world for two how in the world did i go for pull 460 for uh reps when my training wasn't going you know very well with the weight loss so it's one of those things where it's like i think people would realize they put stuff in school and educate themselves uh, just seeing what's been done in the past uh just taking some of that pressure off and what they expect for themselves to do and the fact that like you know people think they're, they're gonna go straight to pro after their very first show because they should be like the best world after one show and it's like no it's taken these other guys years to build that too yeah for sure um and that brings up an interesting point uh with with the weights i think um now granted that that was a, <laughs> a, a an extreme version of this going from 365 to what was your competition 100 pounds or more was it yeah <laughs> so that's an extreme example but i think most people if they're peaking properly that that should kind of be the thing right like you should um you shouldn't be doing as good in training as you're doing on the field. Right. And the other thing is, it's like my training is harder to recover. You know, I would feel like probably like another day compared to competition. Like after the competition, I'm like, okay, yeah, I feel like I definitely exhausted myself. But the next day I'm like, all right, I'm ready to get back to lifting, you know, 48 hours after. Um, where you should not be beat up by the end of your, you know, program before a competition. And I think everybody feels like they have to hit those numbers before competing. And I'm like, my keg press was 170 in training for one rep. I got that for three, and then I got 193 for two reps. So I'm just like, no, I your uh, numbers matter on the field. Nobody cares what you're doing in the gym. Right. So why would you hit those kind of numbers in training? Right. Stay fresh and give it your all <clears throat> at a competition. Yeah, and you, and you have to, um, you have to recover from it, right? I mean that that's how you get stronger. Uh, if if you're just you know maxing out or <laughs> the big the big thing I see is people just fail rep after rep after rep and they'll fail ten times before they get it and this and that. And it's like man, you you have to you have to come back from that. Like you have to be here tomorrow. Right. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that's just it. It's like, you know, at this point in time, it's the recovery is where, you know, I'm getting the strongest at not, you know, killing myself in the gym. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot of, um, it, it, there's a lot of, uh, you know, sayings and motivational things and this and that, like no pain, no gain, give it your all yeah. and this and that. But I think, yeah, beast mode. yeah, you have to like, but you have to know when and where to do that. Correct. It's not just all the time, everything, whenever, all day long. Like you can't, that's not sustainable. Um, yeah. But people think that, you know. And I 
it just uh, throws red flags to the body because it doesn't want to be in that kind of environment to begin with. Yeah. Um, and back to uh, the, the numbers and the weights, um, you had mentioned earlier, uh, you know, people, when they change the weights, they panic or whatever. And I, I hear this phrase a lot. And, and if you, uh, you'll see this um, after they actually have nationals. If you go to the nationals page, you, you will see this exact quote. They're like, oh, they changed this weight. And I trained for this weight. I never understood that. Like, how do you train for that weight? Like, you're either getting stronger or you're not, right? I mean, (laughs) I never understood that phrase. They'll say, well, I trained for this log press that was, you know, 140 pounds or whatever. Like, were you only using 140 pounds every week? Or, like, I I just don't even understand how you would do that. that way, though, where it's like you have to hit, you know, 120 this week. 130 next week, 140 <laughs> next week. And I'm just like, but how do you know that's what you're capable of doing? If right. you're only capable of doing 70 pounds and that's all your body's going to allow you, you're not going to get 50 pounds stronger in a week. Right. Yeah, I just, I never understood, you know. And it's it's like if you had any kind of foresight and you know that the weights could change, the smart play would still be to, well, I'm just going to get my log press as strong as possible. And then, you know, if you got there, you got there. If you didn't, you didn't. But, but I, see, I, that's just it. People are looking at the exact event to get them stronger at versus what are my weaknesses at on that event and right. what do I need to be training outside that to get stronger on the actual event? Yeah, for sure. So back to, like, how I haven't trained any events for – I was only concerned about my very first show and event training – a little bit, probably like once every tw- two weeks, I did one event. Because if I did so specific for Arnold 2019, I knew I couldn't go event specific for any other show for the next two years. Because that's too much beatdown. Yeah. And uh, so I only focus on strongest women in the world. Now, all the other shows, I just need to be strong enough. Plus, there are events that I'm very confident going into anyway. Um, it's not very technical, like a log. So I think there's always like a time and a place where you need to get your hands on implements, but um, looking at, okay, well, how do I make this event stronger for me? Or how do I get stronger on that event? Yeah. Without training it. Yeah. And I think that that's all you can do because there's so many variables. And <clears throat> if, if you're worried about things like the hand spacing on a log, <laughs> I think you've already, you've already doomed yourself, you know? One's slippery, one's gripping, one's ten inches off. <laughs> you know, I've always been a fan of, you know, just train with the most difficult version that you have. And then anything else is going to be, it's going to be like Christmas. Yeah, if you if you train with the most difficult implement and then you go out and, and it, well, let's say it's easier than great, right? And But if it's... Yep. If it's if it's the same difficulty, well, you, well, sure, <laughs> you know. And see, that's what I mean by training. Um, I'm not meaning training harder as in four hours a day. I'm saying pick implements that are the worst type of implement to train on or the most unstable uh, environment you can put yourself in. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think if you just put your training into uh, the most crazy or crappy pieces of equipment, instead of thinking, oh, I have to have exact implement, whether it's beast metal or Bartos, it's like train on the crappy things and it'll make your uh, competition so much easier. So that's why, like, you know, instead of training harder as in weight or time in the gym, it's just looking at how can I put myself in unstable environments to make my training for events harder than uh, competition. And that's what's going to make your competition easier in the long run. So, like, you'll carry. I'm either going to get the most riggedy one that there is, or I'm going to carry a bamboo bar, just like something that's going to be harder than the actual implement used at a competition. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you have to... um... You have to set aside the numbers to do that, right? Because the crappier equipment or the tougher bar, like, you know, like those earthquake bars, you you can't move anything on it. So you have to set aside those numbers, but people are so uh, obsessed with the numbers now. Like if they're not carrying a 900 pound yoke, you know, they don't want to, they don't even want to mess with it. When the reality is you could get a lot of solid work in, um, you know, with a 500 pound or 600 pound yoke. That they're not going to be ready instead of just giving their 100% every day, whatever that 100% looks like. So when you take into the stressors, the work, the sleep, the kids, you know, your food, recovery, just give me 100% for whatever all those add up to. And it's not about 100% as in I've got to lift 100% and wait. It's just give me the energy and your efforts. Mm-hmm. And if you have given your all every single day, then you'll have nothing to worry about come competition day. Yeah. The ones that have not sacrificed or prepared to do what they need to do are the ones that are, you know, not going to perform the way that they want to. Yeah, 100%. Um, <clears throat> I think... Uh, so, so here's some irony, right? And, and you'll, you'll probably like this because I know that um, you do the conjugate system. Powerlifting is much more standardized, right? I mean, like, yeah. you have a specific bar. Uh, hell, I think the, the most of the federations now won't, like, they have rules. Like, you have to use this bar. Yeah. And so it's super... And even, like, equipment as far as, like, uh, wrist wraps and knee uh, slips. You know, like only certain ones can use it too. Yeah, um, and the benches, like the width of a bench, like all of it's standardized, and so it's very easy to. Well, I'm gonna, maybe not super easy, but easy enough to use that exact equipment in training. I mean, you could buy right. a bar, you could go to a gym. Most gyms have this stuff now, and um, but if you look at the conjugate system or like West side, especially they don't do that. They're using safety squat bars and cambered bars and box squats and hip belts and, and, uh, board benches and, and slingshots and all the, they're never doing what they do the day of the competition. And they're still putting up, um, their, their heyday is perhaps past, but they're still putting up ridiculous numbers. They're still in conversations when you're talking about the top 10 in the world. You know. right. A lot less bearable. 
and being on the competition field, but, you know, they're training in all different forms. So that way, if they come down and they're an inch off, they can still, you know, press it or squat it. Yeah. Or if the platform's uneven, you know, they can still deadlift because they're used to being put in so many different positions. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, there, there is something to be said for, um, if, if you do something that's just too difficult and you're not able to move any amount of weight, sure. You may not get stronger from that. So there probably is like a point where you shouldn't be standing on top of a three physio balls and trying to max out on your squat or whatever. Uh, but we, um, yeah, so uh, you can do something too difficult, and, and and that could be a problem, right? If you're, you know, standing on a skateboard on top of a medicine ball and trying to max out on squats, obviously, you know, you're not going to probably get a lot stronger <clears throat> by doing that. Um, but in most cases, yeah, I mean... smart training for a reason. <laughs> right, right. So, but, but something that's 10% more difficult, that's, you know, that's not going to cause... Um, any issue other, other than ego, right? And so that's where we use a lot of the bands and chains just to have like that top weight be heavier so the central nervous system can like catch up to that kind of load and the muscles be ready to handle it. Oh man, yeah. But, but <laughs> yeah, you have to have a brain to be able to use uh, bands and, and chains. I have seen, man, I have seen some things. <laughs> Like, it's not like <laughs> Yeah, um, I have seen on, you know, Instagram or whatever, Facebook, people using bands, and there's no tension. Yeah, and they'll say, you know, 300 pounds bar weight and... 9,000 pound band weight. And it's like, well, there's the band isn't even <laughs> stretched out. You might stretched as well threw it over the bar. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, that stuff, man. And, and I've seen some crazy stuff with chains that just didn't make, you know, <laughs> they'll put a rope down to the chain and then lift it. And like maybe three links come off the floor. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's <laughs> but yeah, but it, but that goes back to people don't um, they don't follow the top the top people. They're not looking at the top people in the sport. They're not following any of this stuff. If you if you go and listen to Louis Simmons podcast or watch any of his videos on YouTube where he talks about using the bands, he repeat. I mean, Louis repeats himself all the time. I mean, he says the same thing <laughs> every time you see him talk. It's the same thing he talks about. There should be band tension from the beginning of the lift. And I just don't understand how anybody. <laughs> if you're going to do bands, you should probably look at Louis Simmons or um, or Dick Hartzell, the guy that came up with them. They both say the same thing. You know, there should be tension from the beginning of the of the movement. Yeah, but like if you want to compete at a national level or world, like learn from the best. Right. Invest in your training. Um, like I said, the first two years I had a pretender of a coach and it's just like, 
it's important that you educate yourself on who you're taking advice from. Yeah. Where have they gone? What have they done? What kind of knowledge and experience? Because you as an athlete, as, as we go back to like competing the common people experience, you don't need to put yourself through that if your coach already has. Let them help you eliminate like 30 competitions and 20 injuries to help you advance. Research who you're getting advice from and yeah. you know, not only the knowledge and experience, but have they been injured? Are they where you want to go? And then look up to those people and invest into, you know, your training. Otherwise, you just see people spinning their wheels and they think that they're sacrificing and investing in so much, but yet it's like you're not going anywhere because of the type of training you're following um, because you have not done that research. Yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah, I think that's very important. Figure out what, what they have what your coach has uh, done and, you know, ask them, you know, I think it's, uh, (laughs) I always use this as an example. It's it's like people will go to a dentist, let's say, and they'll never ask if they're licensed. And do you know how there's an alarming number of unlicensed dentists in the United States? (laughs) Like maybe you should ask some questions. Right. And it's like, same with like, you know, any field. Like do your research, get another opinion. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, go to the uh, the other clients. I think that's a big one. Um, yeah. It shouldn't be any secret who who they're training because um, most most coaches leverage their clients to get more clients, right? So right. you'll see who they're training and ask them, email them, message them, whatever. I mean, most people will gladly respond. You know, I think it's cool that mine all follow each other from all parts of the states and I'm like they've never met each other but it's really neat that they support and they're like in community with each other oh yeah that's cool yeah but but that's another thing I think that's unique to um, Strongman too right like the the people always bond yeah <laughs> no matter where they're at or what they're doing if if there's if they know one person they'll, they'll end up you know becoming best friends basically so that, yep. that's a really cool thing about uh, Strongman that I think is pretty unique to the to the sport. Yeah. Um, even in, I don't even think, in powerlifting, you don't even really get that, you know. Um, it, it really is a Strongman unique uh, kind of thing. Yeah. <clears throat> so what's your plan after um, your crazy schedule coming up? kind of excited that all federations decided to have them all grouped together because that meant that my competitions were going to be completely over in eight weeks yeah where last year i had to compete and train for 11 months just for the spread out shows so i was able to stay in off season a little bit longer this time and just come out for a 12-week cycle and then i'll go in off season for a short window because I'll have to get ready for Arnold's 2020. Very cool. But at least it's like it's so enjoyable right now because I'm like I get to enjoy all like the fall things that I don't typically get to because of the way my training cycle would go. And then uh, it'll be nice to have the holidays open, especially as a mom, because if this gets crazy when we're doing world's strongest woman the week before Christmas, you know, or Christmas. (laughs) So which ones, what's your favorite, uh, 
show uh, that you do? Is there one that is consistently your favorite? Anybody or? can't ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be a little obvious on my social media page. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'll go, I'll go look through that. I have a lot of fun when I get to be out in a crowd. So, um, Arnold, actually, it's too much. But, uh, so it was actually, I'm surprised I'm going for 2020. Um, my favorite, though, was being outside at Beale Street last year with USS. Cool. Uh, that's probably like the funnest competition I've ever had. And as an athlete, too. Um, so when Alaska was at the fair, I was like, cool, same kind of environment. I get to like, get the crowd going and talking to people, the locals beforehand, pulling people to the show. And that's what I did down in Beale Street. I was like, getting gas one day, and the guy said, where are you going? I was like, going to go compete, come watch me. And he's like, okay. And he brought like five of his buddies, too. I like being outside where it doesn't cost anything for spectators to come. Nobody wants to spend $75. They're like, hey, come inside Mr. Olympia. We might be in the back corner. You might be able to see us. You know, that's, that's just not realistic to get people involved. So... I'm really looking forward to um, Austin. Uh, we're competing at the Austin City Limits. So just being in a huge crowd. And the thing is, like, that's my opportunity to educate people about what strongman is. Um, so until people see it, they don't really understand, oh, you lift up stones, like, that are in front of Target is what I'm always, you know, referring to. Or you can deadlift a car. So when people can see... Everyday items being picked up from a strongman, they're like, oh, wow, like we already know that's really heavy, and now that person's doing it. It makes them like understand what strongman is. And yeah. I look forward to those kind of environments to compete in. I don't like being in the arenas and where you might have a hundred parents sitting, but they're not cheering you on, they're cheering their kid on, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, a stranger at a festival, they're like, oh, yeah, like we'll yell at everybody because we don't know any of them. And it just gets the energy going and it makes us for a really fun competition. <clears throat> Very cool. <clears throat> um, so previously, uh, I think we talked about this the last time you were on here. Um, you were having some uh, hand issues, um, tearing calluses and stuff, and you had said um, you thought you had that kind of taken care of. Have you had any more issues? Do you think that's going to be a problem anymore? Or did you figure that out? Um, I figured it out starting, what, January 2018 when I quit using straps in my training. Okay. Um, to think, I don't even know if I even use my straps, but more than once a week on one or two lifts. Like, uh, on my deadlift, the last one or two sets, I might put them on, but, um, I've had no problems at all with my grip. And it's so nice to not have my hands there, to mentally prepare for that pain going into a competition, knowing that that was going to happen. And I guess, like, now um, all four shows I did last – well, no, I did six shows last year. And so far, the two I did this year, no problems. Very cool. So <clears throat> this, is a, this is a topic um, a, a lot of people talk about is um, straps and not straps and – and, uh, you know, bicep tears and things like that. Um, so what are your thoughts on, are you concerned with bicep tears and training because you're not using the straps or 
or are you using a hook grip? I'm not, I'm not even sure. Um, can you give us a little insight? I always go double over on my deadlifts until my grip fails at that, which is typically like step five. And then I'll go ahead and flip for step six. And then uh, I would say, I mean, this is just like kind of typical for me. And then uh, based on the weights and whatnot, and maybe like the seventh set, I'm putting up hair straps on. Okay. Um, but that's not all, every time I deadlift the leader. It gets me out like I don't care to pull my gym I'm just like, meh, I'll be yeah um and what kind of uh what kind of bar are you typically deadlifting with i'm sure it changes a lot but is are you using like a, a, stiffer bar? a Texas bar. i'm sorry what was that a texas bar <clears throat> just the regular one or the or the bendy um deadlift bar the rear one <clears throat> very cool so, so that is yeah. taxing your grip a decent amount then with the double overhand. Yeah, okay. and then um, we don't. I don't do any bicep work. So, because you think about anything that's strongman related is already such a bicep load that why would you train it more? Because then you're just overtraining, like cleaning a log, a keg picking up stones, the opponent's wheel, all of that is, you know, enough again. Yeah, um, for sure. I, and, you know, there, there's a lot of debate with that um, in itself. Um, I think uh, Randall Strawson, um, the guy from Iron Mind, said years ago, he wrote an article about how strong men shouldn't shouldn't train biceps because it, over, it ends up overstressing the tendon and can cause... Um, you know, that, that rupture later on with some of the uh, actual strongman stuff. But some people swear by it and say you should do it to strengthen the tendon. I think, I think you can do either one. I just think it has to be planned out pretty well if you're going to do a lot of bicep work. I don't think you can just say, well, I'm going to kill my biceps today in the gym and then do stones tomorrow. I don't think that's a great idea. Right. Um, I also think that, like... Um well, biceps are a main reason of shoulder pain. Right. So people don't think of those two things together either. Yeah, for sure. And I think so it's all unlike, I guess, how much you want to overtrain and it's not. Yeah. I think, um, I think people forget too that if, especially if you're doing a low bar squatting, that beats up your elbows and um, it beats up your shoulders. And um, in turn, I mean, it's, it's going to put extra stress on your what's bicep, that? too. I'm sorry, what's that? Oh, okay. You were talking about uh, low bar squatting? Yeah, the, the low bar squats tears up your shoulders and elbows, too. I mean, there's a lot of uh, pressure there. Um, you know, uh, that's one reason. Um, actually, uh, Louis Simmons has his, you know, his four days set the way they were. Um, was because squatting can mess up your your elbows and shoulders, and he doesn't want you benching close to your squat your squat day. So it's going to be even worse in strongman, right? I mean, if you're doing the low bar squatting and then you're also having stones or or, or keg, I mean, keg clean, I think, is one of the biggest stressors on the bicep. Um, 
and uh, you know you have those things all together in a week, it's rough. Right. I mean, people don't realize that it's has put powerlifting because the shoulders were too tight, you know, to get under a straight bar. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> yeah. There's still a lot of problems. So it's like, I guess they help you in between all those events. And uh, now on the other side, I think I think tricep work is very important, and um, I think that's triceps are extremely important. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think a lot of people too they get it in their mind. Hey, I'm not doing um, biceps, so I'm not going to do tricep. But that's a mistake. <laughs> Big mistake. <clears throat> that's where all your power comes from, especially. And I think when you're on that topic right now, people think, "Oh, I have." shoulders I don't ever train my shoulders the triceps stronger to get your overhead press stronger you mean outside of pressing you don't do any um, shoulder work right so I press once every three weeks when I'm in a when I'm competing and outside of that I don't do any shoulder work oh wow once every three weeks yeah. Um, are you also uh, bench pressing at all or doing any kind of, you know, like horizontal pressing? I bench press in between. Is that every week? Yep. Okay. <clears throat> Very cool. That's interesting. I, I wasn't, um, I've not heard that. So dynamic on Wednesday and max on Saturday. Is that what you said for bench press? Yeah, max on Sunday. Sunday. Okay. Yep. Very cool. Yeah, I I, uh, I have not um, I've not heard of that uh, style for for uh, strongman, so that's pretty interesting. Um, I mean, it obviously it's working for you, so that's awesome. Well, it just keeps the shoulders healthy, you know, and that's what it's about. And building the back and triceps in the meantime. Yeah. Um, so firefighter training, tell tell us about this. so much fun i think when i retire from strongman i'm gonna become a firefighter my goal is either firefighter or police officer and i'm kind of like bored right now because i don't have much that's taking up my time right and i know i need to spend it all resting but i was like well nobody will let me become a police officer because it cost the city too much money <laughs> so i figured uh become a firefighter very cool very cool um, so now, uh, are you on the vertical diet? I understand. Yeah, for almost two years now. Okay. So tell, uh, what, how, how's that going? Do you like it? Is it, is this a game changer? Big game changer for me because I don't have the inflammation. So my joints are happier. Digestion, you know, gut health, all that. And I just can carry on a lot more muscle than, um, eating whatever I want and not fueling my body the way it needs to be. Cool. And how did you get turned on to that? What was that? How did you get, uh, like, how did you find out about it? Like, who kind of, who kind of pushed you towards doing that particular diet? Uh, Matt got me started in that winning. And, okay. but, you know, again, learning from the best and, he got that from Stan himself mm-hmm. and, you know, learning from Stan Efferding and Michael Hearn. It's like, okay, these guys are in their fifties and look at how they look the way that they do or 
what they have accomplished in their, uh, you know, sport, um, and not beat up. So to me, it just makes sense of learning from people and doing what they've done. Yeah, for sure. Part of recovery. If you're eating like shit, then it's like, well, how do you expect your muscles to, you know, recover on um, that kind of food? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's pretty important. And uh, he's really thought out uh, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, there's some questionable um, science on some of it. But I think, you know, it, it works in the trenches, right? I mean, people are doing it. They did it. It worked for them. So, um I mean, obviously it works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anything they can stick to, obviously it works. And to me, it's so easy to follow. Yeah. I can pack it up, take it with me anywhere I go, or I can find beef and rice at any restaurant. So, um, plus, like, you just crave it. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you done his, uh, where you order him and he sends you the meals? I thought about it so many times, but, like, it's not like I have anything else that I'm not doing to not be able to take care of my own meals. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's actually very impressive. I ordered, um, I don't remember how many, 12 or 20, I don't remember. I ordered a thing of them, and they come in this giant uh, cooler box with these ice packs. And st- the presentation is really cool. <laughs> so, he, do, he does a good yeah, job. Yeah, my kids now take my meals to school. They know like to never take the last one. And they know to ask if they can have the beef and rice that's in the fridge, but that's what they pack instead of any kid food. And so it's made a huge difference on how they eat, too. Yeah, that's very cool. I don't, I don't have to force it. They just naturally want it. Your body craves just clean food. Yeah, very cool. <clears throat> um, so uh, let's see. At this last competition, um, the deadlift for reps, um, it seemed like a lot of people had issue with this. Um, the bar seemed to be uh, crooked on a lot of the reps and people were having a lot of issue um, adjusting for that. Um, did you notice that? And, and can you tell us a little bit about what may have been causing that? That is so funny because that is probably like the number one thing I have heard from being back. And the thing is the axle bar was skinnier than a normal axle bar and it was so slippery. Um, and there was no marking of the center of the bar so you just kind of had a guess and with how slippery it was and being smaller so like my straps were too big for that type of axle it'd be fine if i was on a regular axle bar they'd been plenty of tight i reset at the bottom of each one because one you weren't allowed touching and going so i reset my grip at the bottom of each one and they're like well you probably could have gotten more rep if you weren't around with your strap I'd much rather take the time, whether it's like a second, to just re, you know, rip versus trying to rep them out, get to my knee and have to hitch or to lose it. You won't, you don't want to like have that cough to do a rep. So it was uh, never like any bar I've ever been on, but it didn't matter. Yeah. So, yeah, <clears throat> I did notice, um, and you can't tell in those in a video, like how big the axle is. But I did notice that, you know, when it was in the air coming off the ground, it did look like, I mean, the bar was at fingertips for a lot of people. Like it was literally just sitting in the strap because there was so much space. I literally took off like kind of, it was bar burn on my fingertips. Yeah. Because 
the last couple of ruts, I mean, it was just like folding on with my fingertips. Yeah, I did notice that. Um, I didn't really put two and two together that it was the size of the um, axle bar, but that makes sense now that you said that. Um, yeah. And I, I'm guessing a lot of people probably had that issue then, and that's why. Because I think every, almost yeah, every video. Yeah, no grip. Yeah, almost every video people were, the bar was pretty crooked. Um, now, uh, that's something that, that I personally do. A lot of people don't agree with this and I get a lot of shit for this, but, um, I will personally load and not by a large margin, but I will load bars uneven and lift with more weight on one side or, and then I'll switch and do all that because, well, you never know when that's going to happen. You never know if you're going to pick it up off center. You don't know if, I mean, I've been to competitions where they misload the bar, there will be five or 10 more pounds on one side. And I feel like I'm ready for it. I mean, I, that's just another day for me. <laughs> but see, that's the joys of lifting with firefighters. They always misload my weight. And it's just kind of like, man, who cares? You got it up, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like still, still 400 pounds. I mean, you know, 25 of it more was on this side, but <laughs> yeah. Right. The thing is you're either going to get it or you're not. So, I mean, strong man, there is no technique to spit it up, right? <laughs> right. The, uh, but I, but I'll, I will post that and say, Hey, I'm overhead pressing. I got five more pounds on this side or whatever. And people say, Oh, that's dangerous or whatever. And, well, no, it's controlled to the other side, right? Now you're balanced. <laughs> well, yeah, I always do switch. I do switch, but it's, it's like, it's controlled. Whereas in the competition, it's not going to be controlled because you may not even know. Right. And I would rather do it in training and understand what it feels like and kind of get my body used to that awkwardness and then it accidentally happen. Which um, again is why we come to train so it's different all the time right. and the body is ready for any path that it's forced to take the day of. Yeah, and if you're doing the constantly doing the same thing and it's perfect and, you know, just anything outside of that then does become dangerous. That's why people get bent out of shape when it's not the exact weight or the exact equipment. And it's like, none of that matters. It doesn't. It's strong, man. <clears throat> yeah, that's very, 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 very true. And, uh, yeah, I just I just don't understand how people haven't figured this out. It seems right. It seems rather obvious. Did you but. know what you signed up for? Did you know that this is not a very pretty sport? You do not go walk away from a strongman training without scars and bruises all over you either. Like this is strongman. Well, th this is a this is a thing that I I learned about uh, when when I was doing a lot of when I was training a lot of boxers um, years ago. And I think it, it's true for everything, but I learned it there. People would rather look good losing than look bad winning. <laughs> and very well said. I find that to be very, very true. People will, let's take an overhead press, for instance. Um, people would rather try to stay perfectly upright and press something overhead and use only their shoulders because it looks good and that's like a perfect press versus <laughs> leaning back a little bit and getting your chest involved and pressing it up. It, it just, 
it blows my mind. Like, it, like you said, it's strong, man. It's, it's not, it's not bodybuilding. I'm not trying to isolate my shoulders with a press. I'm trying to put the most amount of weight over my head possible. Um, so, you know, do what it takes without breaking your back. Right. <laughs> you know? it, yep. it really doesn't matter what it looks like. Exactly. Um, but I think a lot of that stuff from bodybuilding is still, because bodybuilding was, was, you know, maybe still is, uh, you know, I don't know, but was like the premier, um, I guess, strength sport, or at least like weightlifting sport for a very long time. You know, you saw the magazines on the shelves and that was the number one media coverage and all that. And people kind of, um, learned for a very long time how to lift from bodybuilders. And I think that that mentality still, uh, I think carries over to a lot of the other strength sports. Like, Oh, you got to do it this way. Cause this isolates this and this isolates that. And I think there's yeah. a time and place for that. But when you're out there in the competition and they say go, <laughs> Yeah. I'm not isolating that, anything. Okay, unless... that's a very good point, though. Like, see, I'm not about the bodybuilder stance when you have to do tricep pushdowns, you know, and the butt out and the pelvic, you know, tilt. But, you know, in the gym, like, your training needs to not, the form needs to be on point, right? Right. So, my deadlift's like, I'm not going to be hitching in my training. Right. The day of competition, Yes, if my last two reps, if that means me getting another rep, I'm going to hitch because you just, that's where it all, you just give it your all. Yeah. Um, especially in strongman because it doesn't matter about hitching. But, you know, in the gym, no, I'm done if I am losing form. And I, hitching is one of those things that, that uh, I say go for it if you're in competition, right? Yes. But I see a lot of people doing that on in training, and they're doing it not like, hey, I hitched my last rep. I see a lot of people like... <laughs> step one to step five. <laughs> I, I see that all over the place, and I'm just like, that's a good little stunt or a trick to, to finish a deadlift if you have to, but I don't think the training effect is very good for um, hitching. I think it disrupts your time under tension. It disrupts a lot of things and you don't get as much out of it. Right. Um, you, you know, and, but I see a lot of people are doing that in training. And I think, again, you have to know when and where to do these things. Right. Absolutely. <clears throat> because you're not winning or losing in training. Training is training, right? So you can look good in training, but don't be afraid to look bad to win. But you're just setting yourself up for high risk for injury by trying to um, keep up with that yeah. your whole training cycle. And, you know, I think personally, I think um, like doing jerks is kind of like um, hitching. I don't think you get as much training effect from a jerk as you do from a press. Um, now, there are some people that jerk in competition, sure. But I see a lot of people that don't press at all and only do jerks. I think that's a huge mistake. Right. Um, there, there are certain implements that you're just not going to realistically jerk. So you need to be able to press, you know, I mean, you, I don't know anybody that's going to do a split jerk with a Mauser block. <laughs> you know? Well, that's just, I never understood that. Cause I'm like, my log gets heavy enough. There is no way I am split jerking, <laughs> you know, to do that. Yeah. Over, so. And, 
the irony is like some of the best people that um, that do the jerk, you know, uh, like Rob Kearney and, and and Martins will do jerks sometimes, but but they've also won. They've probably won more pressing events with pressing than jerking. I mean, the last few competitions I've seen, um, especially for reps, Rob and Martins both um, did presses. Um, right, they got rid of the jerk. Um, now, now Rob did do the jerk at the the log lift world championships, but um, at Worlds when he went head to head with Half Thor, he was doing uh, presses. <laughs> you know. So the people that are good at jerks are also good at presses. And I think a lot of people are throwing that out the window and they're only doing the jerk. Mm-hmm. And and that comes back to ego. They don't want to drop. Right. They don't want to take that number off the bar and uh, yep. impress it. And but that's the thing with strongman training. Like a lot of the events are, or implements, you have to put yourself under the weight to have the form that you need for it because you can lift you know a stone that's 50 percent lighter than what you need for competition a whole different way than what you're going to use you know if you got yourself under some weight with something heavier and it's like even conditioning work is like i guess i like using a lot of the strongman implements for just conditioning because you could just do 50 percent or you know for example and run with a prowler for you know push or instead of a truck or um, sled drag or arm over arm. I don't know. Different truck pushes, pulls, carries <laughs> for conditioning work because as soon as that weight gets heavy, like your form's going to go to a different, you know, technique. Yeah, for sure. And <laughs> I always find this really funny that in uh, strongman, so like people talk about these these viper presses, right? And it's like. That's just how you do it when it's not that heavy. Right. <laughs> right. That's that's not a viper press. That's just like, hey, if I said, get that over your head as fast as you possibly can, that's what you would do. <laughs> but people people have to name things and say, this is this technique, or they call it one motion stone loading. Well, that's just like, because it's not heavy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the, uh, one of the funniest things I've ever seen was at a CrossFit competition and um, they had this event and there was a bunch of stones. I mean, a ridiculous amount. I don't even remember. There's probably like 15 of them lined up and you had to do one every minute and you moved along the line. So you'd lift one and you'd walk to the next. And then when the minute rolled over, you'd lift it and you'd walk to the next. Well, for the women's division, the first stone was this heavy med ball. And, um, and it even had a handle on it, right? Oh, my. <laughs> and uh, I would say that over half of them lifted it like a stone. Like, they picked it up and lapped it and rolled it up to their wow. shoulder. But it had a handle on it. <laughs> it's like they had that technique in their mind, like, hey, this is how you lift a ball. But but that's not how you that's how you lift a heavy ball. Like you could have just grabbed that and set it on your shoulder. But but people people get that in their head, you know, and they just get so bent out of shape about it's like just just go do it, you know. Right. <laughs> no, certain basic principles apply, but you know, just you just gotta if it's light enough, you can do whatever you want with it, right? Exactly. You know. 
But that that was really funny. I'd say over half of the people people did that. <laughs> but <clears throat> so um, these competitions you got coming up, uh, do they? Do any of them have any crazy um, events that are unique or um, anything you're looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the Conan's Wheel in uh, Austin. Um, and I would like to set a new record with that federation for my deadlift. Is that the, and, is that the USS show? Yeah. Okay. I did 515 last year on a regular bar and like 535 on axle bar, like two weeks later at America's Strongest Woman. So this year we have, I have two one rep max deadlifts at both shows, USS and two later at America's Strongest. So, hopefully set two football records within that time. That'll be awesome. <laughs> Again, recovery is going to be my key there. Um, I think the events are pretty similar for Worlds this year. As year. I haven't really looked at them. I really don't care. Um, just because I think when I read through them, there are events that I'm I'm decent at, so I just want to go and see if I can set, you know, another personal record compared to the last time I did it in competition. Cool. Um, Now, I know this is a little bit different for um, the pros because it's much more advertised and, and, you know, you have to, like, get invites and this and that, but how concerned with you are, how concerned are you with the competitor list? Like, do you ever go and see who else signed up? Are you concerned with that at all? I don't care who's coming. I don't care what they're training. I don't care the color of the t-shirt. I don't care what <laughs> kind of implements we're using. I just don't care. And the reason why is why would I waste any of my energy on any of those topics when we all train differently, we all have different stressors and sleep patterns and recovery. And it doesn't matter. It's going to matter whatever we do that day. Yeah. There's nothing I can do that's going to control whether this promoter wants to change using equipment or maybe that truckload didn't come on time and now they're using somebody else's. It's not about matching and looking pretty. (laughs) It's strong, man. So I don't care what color shirt I have. I mean, we were making fun of Strongest Woman in the World shirts because it looked like the Gala Gala-like character being <laughs> yellow and on a blue shirt. And it was like a cartoon from, like, what, the 90s? Yeah. I, you know, we all have our favorite colors. We all, you know, everybody's different. You're not going to make everybody happy, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, I tend to change pants four times in a competition anyway so it's like (laughs) i don't care (laughs) um so yeah i don't care who's coming i don't um i think because there's been a big switch in competitors so like the ones that we started out with or the first 10 pros um we're all just on different journeys right now so it's not the same as what it once was and i think now it's just go enjoy the experience for whatever it is that I want it to be for that show. Very cool. 
and it's probably a lot different with the pros too, because the same, there's not a bunch of pros and there shouldn't be a bunch of pros, right? right. So you're kind of getting the same crowd a lot of the time anyway. Yeah. But, um, I know in the amateur ranks, people are obsessed with the competitor list. <laughs> yes, they are. And I'm just like, why do you care what they are doing? Why do you care who is coming? It's not going to make you perform any better or any worse than what you're fully capable of doing. Yeah, I don't. You're more going to think about yourself just freaking out about who's going to you. Yeah, people, people get bent out of shape. They'll be they'll look at it. And, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you the last time. Well, that, that's not true. I, I did look at a competitor list not too long ago, but it was because somebody I was training was also going, and they wanted me to look, so I had to look. <laughs> and, and they were in my class, so, <laughs> you know. But uh, anyway, so I have looked, but that was an exception. I, I don't even, I don't care, you know. I just I sign yeah. up. Um, I usually sign up. I'm not a pro, so I sign up because I like the events. I say, okay, well, those events look fun. That's why I signed up. I don't care who shows up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I signed up for one. Uh, it's in November, I think. Um, they have a javelin throw. I'm like, I'm gonna go. Uh-huh. Do ja- I'm gonna go throw a javelin. Like, I don't give a shit who goes. Like, I'm there to throw a javelin. <laughs> right. You know? and like for me, it's like, okay, we went to Alaska. I never expected to go there. So it's like, do you really think I care where I place or, you know, who's going? Yeah. I actually thought it was going to be last place. So that's why I think it's still hilarious. I have had to set in that I'm actually going Arnold again. <clears throat> so so how was Alaska? Did you spend any time there outside of the competition? Oh, yeah. We got to travel and explore a lot and it was cool because uh, one of my clients, her dentist lives out there now, so we got to stay with them and oh, cool. experience a lot of what they could just take us in and around what they know and the best parts of Alaska. Very cool. Um, I'm about 330 pounds right now. I think um, Alaska sounds real nice. <laughs> and that's just it. Like I got angry coming home because I was like, standing there, I'm like, I'm hot. Like, Putting on competition is not enjoyable during the summer yeah. in, you know, these states. But I'm like, out there you could breathe and, you know, not sweat from walking from through a store. And I was just like, this is so enjoyable for a fat person. <laughs> um, now, you've competed competed in a lot of different places. Have you ever had any issues with the higher altitude places? Have you noticed any differences there? Okay, you want to know my... I got this question uh, yesterday from my client. The biggest thing that helps you there is training with a weight vest on. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so all last year... And the thing is, you have to do this in your off-season. It can't be done. Your conditioning work is where, you know, your off-season comes into play. And so I take my walks with 50 pounds to start out with and then I worked up to 100 pounds in another training cycle and uh, when I got to Norway I was like oh my gosh I can't breathe and I was like wait a minute this is the same feeling as having a weight vest on and then instantly my mind was like you're used to this you're fine Yeah. and that was the same way with Alaska I'm like nope I already know what this feels like same with Texas we work out in a gym that has no air so the heat is another thing that I like putting my body into because you're not always going to have 
inside of an arena that's a perfect 64 degrees, you know? Right. And so when you put your body in other environments too, like that, not just under implements, um, it makes it a lot easier to compete. Very cool. I'm going to have to keep that in mind. I did the, uh, <clears throat> I did the stone lifting, uh, the natural stone lifting championships in Utah. And yeah. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. <laughs> yeah. It was brutal. Just with the altitude. What's that? Where did you have altitude or was it the heat? Uh, it was the altitude. We were actually inside, so the heat wasn't uh, terrible. But, man, the altitude was rough. And, and in natural stone lifting, um, they gave us three minutes. The, the events took like three minutes. So it wasn't like what I'm used to where it's like 60 seconds or 90 seconds. It was three minutes of shouldering stones. And, man, the altitude was murder. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute it's murder. It's amazing. It's like it's already hard to breathe with that on you. And then you're making yourself, especially when I lost all my weight um, over the last year. Because now I compete. 55 pounds lighter than what I did yeah. in the uh, first couple of years. <clears throat> so having that weight back on me is a way to make me train harder in a way, right? Mm-hmm. So it's harder to breathe. It's harder to walk. And a lot of stabilizer muscles have to be used too. And it's like I only wear 10 minutes at a time because our events are only for one minute. Mm-hmm. So it's not like getting on a treadmill and walking for an hour with it on. It's right. just little 10-minute intervals. But um, it just helps you like realize, okay, this is the same way you have to breathe when you have that vest on. <clears throat> or if you were physically an extra 50 pounds heavier. What, uh, what um, like events or whatever are you uh, mostly wearing the vest with? Because I imagine it gets in the way on some things. Um, so like what are your preferred events so one time i wore it while and i wore it while training yoke okay and i had equal weights on at the same time because if i made my body physically heavier while having carry weight then just think about how much easier it is once you strip that off right um i've doubled it a couple times with it on but usually I just wear it for, like, my rest days, and I just wear it for, like, either rowing or being on a treadmill that turned off or walking with a sled around, you know, the yeah, strap yeah. around my hip. <laughs> kind of like GPP um, type stuff. Kind of what? Like, uh, like GPP type stuff? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever, uh, like, done, like, farmer's walk that way or? I'm going to say I've done farmer's carry that way, which is always good. Um, <laughs> but a lot of times with my training, I don't even train farmer's carry the last two years. And uh, I think, I, oh, actually, I take that back. I think I had to do it last year for the qualifier for Worlds or something like that. So I had to run through it a couple times for the video. But if I do farmer's carry now, it's like with maybe a hundred pounds, but it's more of like kettlebells and either high kneeing it or going super slow because I'm already fast at a lot of the moving events. So it's just finding your weaknesses and how to make those harder to train. I think, um, sometimes carrying the kettlebells is harder than the, um, the farmer's implement depending on, you know, what style it is. But uh, they can definitely be more difficult. 
Yes. <laughs> like, I don't know how this is like 100 pounds lighter, but still <laughs> seems so much harder. Well, they, they beat your, your legs, you know, and then that just twerks on your hands the whole time. <clears throat> it's not the most comfortable thing. <laughs> Very cool. Wait, we're about out of time. Um, it's been a pleasure. Always enjoy having you on. We'll get you back on here um, maybe when your uh, competition marathon is over. Sounds <laughs> great. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, any uh, final words of advice or anything before we go? Uh, educate, train, and inspire others, man. There you go. That I think that's solid advice. Um, again, I want to thank you. Uh, this has been John thank the you. Viking Mauser with Brooke Sousa. Get strong or die.